All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Outside the box. Hello and welcome to September's Outside the Box. And today I'm joined by Jen. Hello. And there is no Mickey. So, do you want to say something ludicrous? No, I don't. Okay. I've thought about this. I've thought about it, and no, I don't. Thank you very much. You don't want to shout, get jiggy with it, or something? For no, no apparent I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to do I it. I don't like it. Sorry. I don't like it. Okay, we have stuff to talk about, stuff that... Actually, I think you and I have watched quite a lot of the same stuff. Mickey's not here because she's been she's been outside. She's been leaving the house. How I know, can't relate. Can't relate. <laughs> But you and I have watched, we've both watched Vigil. Yeah. And we have both watched, a, well, we've watched what's available of Vigil. We've watched what's available of Stephen. I've watched a bit of The White Lotus, which is on Sky. And you watched a tiny bit of Nicola Walker's new thing on Alibi. And then I discovered a not that recent documentary, but very us documentary on Amazon called Lorena, which you've also watched some of. So we're going to give that a chat. I don't know how we missed it. I keep thinking that. I think it was like 2019. I'm like, I don't know how we missed it. But then I realised I didn't have an Amazon account then. So that'd be yeah. why I missed it. Because I Googled it after I watched it. 
and I was like, oh, this is quite old, actually. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I'd not seen it, when you mentioned it, I'd not seen it, like, you know, in the bar of stuff to watch. Mm. So I was a bit like, oh, is this not? It's not. It yeah. is. <laughs> well, it actually gave it to me in uh, what uh, you might like this suggestion. And I'm always surprised by that, not because... I don't believe that algorithms can predict what you like, but because I watch a lot of stuff that's not my choice, mm. you know, for rated or dated on there. So yeah. it, it gives you a really odd... So it's odd that they would go, hey, recently you've watched Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> and maybe you'd like to watch this, which is... Maybe it's the knife element of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You, know, like, maybe. you just love yeah. a knife, I don't know. I think that's what she used. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm going to mention two things that we also possibly would be talking about at some point, because they're coming up, mm. which is Alma's Not Normal, Sophie Willen's sitcom, and Back to Life, which is Daisy Haggard's sitcom, which is for a second series. But Mickey and I, both in talks with the women involved there to actually get them on the podcast and talk to them in some depth about it. So we're going to hold fire on reviewing those. There's a couple of other things coming up tomorrow night, which is probably tonight when you listen to this. The North Water, a five-part odd number, but here we go, drama starring Colin Farrell. That's the bit everybody's excited about. That's the bit I'm least <laughs> excited about, to be honest. I'm much more excited about three other names in this. Stephen Graham, Sir Tom Courtney, and Jack O'Connell. And they are on a whaling ship out of Hull in the 19th century. So very sort of men doing men's work. That sounds like the most unleavy thing I've ever ever heard of. A whaling ship, the 19th century, Stephen Graham. Funnily enough, my friend Paul Kirkley, who uh, is also a TV reviewer and who I um, I've got a plug for something that yeah. Paul and I are doing later for this. But uh, the last time I spoke to him, he said, uh, I've just watched something that I absolutely hated, but I reckon you totally love. And I said, is it that thing about ships with Stephen Graham? And he was like, yeah, that's it. That's literally it. He didn't like it, but he doesn't like that macho, manly, historical stuff, whereas I fucking love it. Well, it sounds, it certainly sounds interesting. Should we start with something less manly? Although it's quite many, but it is led by a woman, mm -hmm. which is Vigil. Yes. Six-part series on the BBC. I think it might be on a Sunday night. I have been watching it on the iPlayer. So I have seen three of the available six episodes, which I think is probably what everybody else has watched at this stage. I've seen two because right. I went to watch it on Sunday and what I didn't know was that another episode had been on on the bank holiday Monday. And I was like, what the fuck? What's going on? I don't understand. That hasn't happened. And then I realised I was an episode behind, so I had to go back and watch that. Uh, okay, got yeah. But I don't mind if you spoiler it for me, so uh, say what you like. Okay, well, it stars Saran Jones. We like a bit of Saran Jones, don't we? we? Do. Mm -hmm. As a police officer suffering from her own personal trauma, aren't they always? Of course. Who is sent to investigate the death, or the suspicious death, of a... Um, Naval officer? Uh, well, let's just say Martin Compton. Of Martin Compton aboard a nuclear submarine in Scotland, or in the waters around Scotland. Our friend Patterson Joseph playing the captain of the submarine there. And she has left her colleague, played by Rose Leslie, to investigate what is going on 
on land. She's a land lover, Rose Leslie. And uh, Saran Jones getting increasingly claustrophobic inside a submarine. Where should we start? Do you like it, Jen? That would be a good point. Hmm. I'm undecided. I think I'm undecided. The thing, the thing that I find the most difficult is that everyone on that boat is a fucking prick. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. awful. They're, and I, it's just every time I watch it, I just get really angry by the lack of respect they show to Saran Jones as a freaking police officer investigating a crime. Well, especially since military people like follow the chain of command. Yeah. That is the rules that they follow the chain of command. So if you get told to do something by someone who has authority over you, you generally have to do it. Exactly. But then I did see someone tweet, and I can't remember who it was, so sorry that I can't credit them with this. I did see someone tweet that they were interested in um, what authority she would actually have over, like, a naval jurisdiction or something. This is interesting because the things about this is that I don't feel in any way qualified to comment on the accuracy of it because no. I know literally nothing. <laughs> so I think it's probably able to get away with murder in terms of what it can do with the plot. Yeah. Not as in get away with murder, as in the death of Martin Compton. Well, maybe. Because the answer is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to almost everything that I think, would that happen? I mean, there are some things that I think would that happen, like would her boss send her into a submarine? when she has mm. had some experience in the past mm. that would make her not especially well suited to enclosed spaces. <laughs> Underwater. Yeah. Yeah. What I found quite surprising about it was the first time I saw a trailer for this was after the first episode of Line of Duty had ended. Mm. And it was like sent in a, like it had this huge, like, da, 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 from the makers of Line of Duty. Then Martin Compton's face really big. Mm. And then... Many of those things have transpired to be bait rather than mm. what the drama actually is. Martin Compson dies in the first five minutes. Uh, I don't think that's a, a spoiler, but he is basically not in it. Also, from the line of, from the makers of Line of Duty would suggest to me it's got Jeb Mercurio involved in it, and it doesn't. Yes. It's just from the oh. same production company, which that seems also like a bit of a swizz. Oh, I fully thought it was Jeb Mercurio. Because it's a bit disappointing to Saran Jones to sell it based on men when, in fact, it's a drama featuring Saran Jones, which I think should be enough to sell it full stop. Yeah, I would agree with that. She's she's prime time. She's fully prime time. Absolutely. She's brilliant as well as being prime time because you can be prime time and, and, and not brilliant. Do you like it? It seems enjoyable, but at the same point, if... You know what happened with the Noel Clark. Clark thing? Yeah. Where it got pulled. Yeah. If for whatever reason this got pulled, and I'm absolutely not suggesting that Mark Compton or... What, what do you know? Pat and Joseph have, <laughs> have any reason to worry about that. But if it got pulled and I never saw the end of it, or if my TV blew up, or, you know, if the internet went down, I don't think I'd be bothered if I didn't actually see how it ended. Does that yeah. make sense? I, I don't know... I guess the reason I didn't watch the third part yet is because there was other stuff that I wanted to watch more, one of which we will come on to imminently. Mm. No, I've, yeah, I've got questions about it. Like, I don't... Maybe these get answered. In the, where's her daughter now? Her daughter was all right, right? Oh, I mean, that does get answered. Um, okay. Yeah. Is it sad? 
Well, I suppose anybody who has someone that they think's a daughter that doesn't live with them anymore would you would suggest. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sad. No, that is sad. But I, I mean, she's not dead, so that's good. I'm a bit disappointed by how little Stephen Delane has to do in this, because he is absolutely cracking and doesn't really get very much to do in this at all. If you don't know who Stephen Delane no, is, no, which Jen, one he is, is he? He is basically the guy that's in charge on land that they keep going to talk to. Okay. Right. So get a really big name in what yeah. seems to be a minor role. Then my brain starts to go, oh, it must be him who did something really bad because otherwise why would they have cast him? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's not... It's all right. I'll probably... If I can catch up with the third episode I've missed, I'll probably continue to watch it as it's on on a Sunday night. But if I don't, I might not bother. Yeah, agreed. I, I, rarely I have so r- little written in my notepad when I come to talk about something. I'm just looking and thinking, what haven't I said? And I'm like, I've barely written anything <laughs> down. Yeah, so we'll leave that with a terrific review of, it's okay? <laughs> it's okay. So I'm guessing the thing that you probably wanted to talk a bit more about is Stephen. Three part, three part? It is, it's three parts, yeah. And three I've parts. actually, it's actually all on ITV Hub, so I've watched all of it. Okay, I've only watched the first two parts. Uh, drama about the Stephen Lawrence case. There has actually been a drama before about the Stephen Lawrence case because obviously that sadly limped on for such a long time that you mm. can actually fit two dramas, which is perhaps a more demonstration of the absolute fucking scandal mm. of what happened is that there's still new material to be talking about. Starring Steve Coogan as DCI Clive Driscoll, who is the man that basically, whilst being told to tidy up an office, stumbled across boxes and boxes of evidence and decided that somebody actually needed to solve the Stephen Lawrence murder. And by solve, I mean, just arrest and prove that the guys that they knew that did it from day one and had previously, you know, taken to court actually did it. When I saw it was Steve Coogan, I automatically thought this was going to be Jeff Pope who wrote this. Because Jeff Pope is like an absolute fucking master of writing dramas and good quality dramas about Mm. real life famous crime cases. He wrote um, Little Boy Blue, for example, which is about the shooting of Rhys Jones. Yes. He also did the thing that had Martin Freeman in it that was about the copper... Confession, I've seen. Yeah, that broke broke the pace rules in order to catch um, a serial killer. And that was really good as well. And also, Coogan and Jeff Pope worked together on Philomena, and they worked together on um, Stan and Ollie. But it's not Jeff Pope, but it is actually another uh, good writer, Frank Cottrell Boyce, who works a lot with Michael Winterbottom, who also works a lot with Coogan. So Mm. a lot of it hangs on Coogan's performance, clearly, and it's quite a lot of pressure on him because... Steve Coogan is most famous for playing Alan Partridge and his second most famous role is himself. He plays himself in a huge amount of stuff. And his third most famous performances are characters that are pretty much like Steve Coogan. Mm. So, you know, how he plays uh, in Philomena. He plays Martin Sixsmith as basically sort of an extension of Steve Coogan. <laughs> and um, I'm not saying he's not good, but I'm just saying that that's sort of how it how it works. So... I was unsure of how much he would be able to pull this role off. Not because I don't think he's a good actor, because I think your brain constantly is saying that's Steve Coogan in a way that it doesn't with loads of other actors. Yeah. 
And I am guessing that he has met Clive Driscoll. And because, despite a review I read in The Independent that suggested that Steve Coogan's accent wasn't great in it, which is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, because Steve Coogan is probably the greatest mimic this country has, I am guessing it is a relatively spot-on impersonation of Clive Driscoll. But the problem is, there's something intrinsically kind of comedic about him as a character, but yet Coogan isn't playing it for laughs. So there are parts, like when he turns up to see her and he's wearing that that football kit and he's got... (laughs) That I just wanted to laugh, even though it's not funny. I wanted to laugh because it's Coogan. It's quite part of Trujesque, isn't it? Yeah, so my brain has struggled (laughs) with that a little bit. Not because he's not good, but because my brain has to get over the fact that this isn't... There are no jokes in this. This is none of this. That Mm. accent is not being played for laughs. That accent is just how that guy sounded. Mm. So... That's interesting. I think, I mean, two great performances as well from Charlene White, who is playing Doreen, and Hugh Quashie, who is playing Neville. That's the second time he's played Neville Lawrence. Yes. I think it's good. I think it's really low key and it's really undramatic and it's really unsentimental. I think it really sort of gets the, just the absolute just exhaustion of the family and sort of people around them and to a certain degree the coppers that are trying to do some good here of just why can't we just get this fucking done why can't we get this done we knew who did it why can't we get it done but it's not done in a hyper but it does nobody even says really that that i just said everyone seems very weary very just forlorn and i think the tone is actually quite good Again, I've seen some criticism that called it cold, and I don't think it's cold. I just think it's... No, I think there's a level of detachment from Doreen because she's exactly fucking that. sick of it. Like, yeah. Which I think if you ever see... I know you've seen it. There's actually a really, really good BBC documentary about the murder of Stephen Lawrence and the subsequent trials that went on and I'm sorry I can't remember the name of it I think it's something like Stephen the murder that, or a crime mm. that changed the nation or something like that I can't remember but mm. it's um, I, I don't think you can get hold of it anymore I think I watched it I actually re-watched it quite recently because I know how to have fun guys yeah. uh, and I think I think I watched it somewhere online I don't know where I found it basically and it's really good. And I've also watched, because this is kind of pitched as a sequel to the original ITV yeah. drama, but I'm not really sure that it is because it's completely different people involved, apart from Hugh Quashie, who plays Neville Lawrence in both. It's quite different to the first one, I guess. But I mean, the first one looks, I only watched the first one for the first time about a year ago. So it looks quite dated now, which might be part of it. I think Steve Coogan's really good as Clive Driscoll. I think he comes across like, you know, I actually saw um, Clive Driscoll in another documentary quite recently as well about the um, New Cross fire called Uprising. Right. Because it transpires he was like on the beat in Brixton at the time of all those riots. So I've seen him. I mean, he had quite a glittering career, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him like on camera quite recently. So I thought, the yeah I, I think the accent's fine i think the mannerisms are fine he's quite an eccentric character like he does this thing that they show 
in the drama that he, you know he, he plays the piano at old people's homes with a weird hat on and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But that's like actually who Clive Driscoll is. That's what he does. And I know what you mean about the comedic stuff. I thought some of the casting was a bit. I thought Charlene White was too young. I mean, she does Dory. look quite young. I have to say, she does look quite young. But and I was going to Google her and ask her. I was going to Google, Google her and find her. out how old she was because she does look young. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she no the right I, age. I did Google her and could find no um, evidence of her age. So, so I I don't actually know that. But I thought she seemed too young to play Doreen Lawrence. And I know this is set now like nine years ago. So Doreen Lawrence was nine years younger at the time. But I still thought she looked a bit too young i think that hugh Quashi is as he is in the first one brilliant like mm. absolutely brilliant in this i think he is really like the heart of it really because it's it's so if you've if you've sort of done any if you've watched that bbc documentary if you've ever seen the lawrences talk about this stuff they're just incredible fucking people like they are incredible what they've been through is unbelievable the way they've been treated is obviously fucking appalling the fact that they kept going kept going and kept going you know their marriage broke down neville moved back to jamaica because he said he couldn't be in england anymore because he just constantly thought about the injustice of it all and Mm. it made him so angry that he couldn't bear to be here anymore and i think that hugh quashi does that really really well in in both of the dramas and yeah it it made me think like why has this man been on Holby City for like 5,000 years when he's so fucking good and then I suppose the answer to that is um he's a bit older now and um hi institutional (laughs) racism that's probably the reason but he might actually like being yes maybe he does people do love yeah a soap opera gig don't they and essentially Holby City is a soap opera yeah yeah people like the sort of family community that comes with yeah. like, working with the same people for years don't we Jen don't we Jen of course and I um, love soaps so I don't want to be snobby about it because I do love soaps but I just thought he was so so good in it I was surprised when I watched the first one by how good he was in it there's a really good scene where he goes to visit the dad of another youngster yes who has been Roland I can't remember his name, but I looked it up. But it was another quite famous case, yeah. I think. And I think they have a really interesting conversation. And given that, that a, lot, a lot of that conversation is about religion, which mm. I absolutely loathe as a concept, mm. I think any scene that makes me consider that I understand why some people do religion is doing its job really well. And that scene really does that, where they talk about forgiveness and yeah. whether or not forgiveness has to be earned or it has to be given or it has to be asked for. And I thought that was that was really well done. That was a really good scene. Yeah, no, I agree. It's yeah. very thought-provoking. Mm. I think what drives it home as well is I grew up watching or I have watched a lot of dramas over the years that have been set in the 1970s. Red Riding is a great example of this, mm. the um, the Channel 4 series based on the book Red Riding which is about institutional sort of racism, sexism, uh, all, all, the whole lot in West Yorkshire Police in the 70s. And I'm used to institutional racism and sexism, etc. And now here I am in my 40s and I'm watching something that happened when I was not a child, but a live, fully functioning adult human being. And it was still that bad then. That is really something that that hammers this home, I think. 
that you're talking about something that happened in the 90s. Yeah. And it was still that bad. That's... But, but then also that it brings it up to, you know, almost present day, mm. I guess, in that it's what 2012, I think, when, when the yeah. trial happened. Still, like a lot of the attitudes, like the bit where she gets her car jacked and she goes mm. to the police station and, they, and he just won't do anything for her and she has to call Driscoll to come and basically be like, are you going to fucking do anything? Yeah. And yeah. all the people who are like, oh, oh, you're, you're on that case, are you? Like, within the Met, oh, really? Mm. Oh, yeah, well, we all know he was a gang member and blah, 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 blah. Like, those attitudes went on. And I tell you what's really striking in this, I think it's in the first episode, is when they decide to do a reconstruction of it in mm. order to prove that the word brief attack was total bollocks. Mm. And... Steve Coogan gets a young black officer to play Stephen Lawrence and mm. it gets his deputy to basically pretend to beat him up and they yeah. film it because they're trying to shock forensic science team into changing their mind. So, of course, they had to get a young sort of black officer to play him. And after they do it, Clive Driscoll says to the officer, like, are you OK? Because he looks pretty traumatized by what he hasn't been hit, but he looks pretty traumatized by what he's by having literally had to put himself in the sort of place of Stephen Lawrence. And the care that is shown for him in that scene it stands out because it is both totally normal and totally abnormal when compared to the rest of what's gone on around him. That I think that's that point really drives home how yeah. just how yeah much racism permeates everything around them and the fact that Driscoll can actually think this probably just traumatised that lad I'm going to ask him if he's okay which like I say isn't an especially caring thing to do it's not going above and beyond but it appears to be going above and beyond in comparison to everything else that's the thing I kind of like watch it and you're a bit like Driscoll's a fucking hero like he's Mm. a hero and it's just actually he's just not racist yeah he's he's good at his job and he's not racist yeah and, exactly that. And Neville Lawrence says to him, I just want you to do your best for me. Yeah. And that's literally all he does. He does his job. Yeah. And that's all they've ever asked anyone to do. Mm. And that's, you know, it's quite, it's quite devastating to watch, really. Yeah. And, and to think about, you know, what that must mean. And the fact that actually there were five people involved in that attack and only two of them ever yeah. were convicted. So, you know, it didn't even get done. Like, not, no disrespect to Driscoll, who obviously did a very good job. Well, he was shuffled out stage left, wasn't he? Yeah, and then yeah. and the investigation was eventually closed last year and never to be revisited, apparently. So they, so they will never fully have justice for what happened to them, no. ever. OK, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about some other stuff. Welcome back. So, The White Lotus on Sky. It's a six-part HBO sort of comedy slash drama slash satire. I have only got around to watching one episode. I can't fully endorse it and I can't fully say it's not good. It looks okay so far. It looks promising. Who knows? I can watch two parts of Stephen and know from the tone and know that because I know what's going to happen, that it, it will be worth watching. I can't say that on one episode of this so far. It's about a luxury hotel resort in Hawaii and it's about a group of holidaymakers who arrive there. And things are going to become increasingly dark as it goes along. Is probably the only way I can describe that without being too spoilery. It's got a pretty solid 
cast though Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Steve Zahn, Murray Bartlett. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far, but perhaps more on that when I have seen more of it. Jen, tell me, I asked you, I gave you a mission because you can, you have alibi and nobody I else do. has alibi to track down Nicola Walker's new drama. I've tracked it down. Stuck out on some channel that none of us can watch. Yeah, well, it's... Do you not have alibi? It's just on Sky, isn't it? I cancelled my got... Sky. Oh, uh, okay. I genuinely wasn't watching it enough to justify spending the huge amount of money it costs. What do you do? Do you now TV it or do you just illegally I now TV, anything? yeah. Okay. And if it's not on there, then I just don't watch it. Fair play. Or go around somebody's house who does have it. <laughs> it's called Annika... It is uh, Nicola Walker plays a central cat, the eponymous uh, main character. She's got a weird accent, which I'm confused by. I think she's meant to be a bit Scandinavian, but I don't know. But I did find out that, um, find out like I'm a detective, I googled (laughs) it um, and looked at the Wikipedia page. (laughs) uh, Great detective work. And it was originally a radio series written by, confusingly, Nick Walker, who is not Nicola Walker, and also featured Nicola Walker as the main character in the radio series. Right. Uh, See, I assumed, since it was called Annika, Mm. and I know three people called Annika, and Mm. they come from all over the world, but I don't, so I don't know why I'm about to say this, but I kind of assumed it was a remake of a Scandinavian drama. I don't think it is a remake. But I think she's meant to be Scandinavian because I was going to say the radio series is set in Oslo. Okay. And, um, but it's very subtle. Whatever she's doing with her accent is quite subtle, so it's sort of hard to tell. She talks to the camera quite a lot, which I find a bit irritating. There's a, there's a, she breaks whatever wall. What is it? Fourth the fourth wall. wall. Right. She does a lot of that, which I, I don't think it, quite works like i'm not i'm not against that as a principle sometimes i hate it sometimes i think it's done well i i i'm not i'm not digging it that much in this i have to say so basically annika is um i should have started with this really but um basically she is a detective inspector annika strandhead which also sounds a bit scandinavian she takes Mm. over a how can she take over if it's new? That doesn't even make sense. But she uh, she heads up. She is heading up a new marine homicide unit in a sort of slightly remote part of Scotland, possibly an island somewhere. Marine homicide unit had me a bit like Ugh, already because like is that is that like what McNulty has to do? Yeah, when but he I gets think wasn't he just like a, like a patrol boat or whatever? These guys right, are like okay. specifically dealing with homicides in a marine capacity. You'd think that would be quite niche, wouldn't you? But um, apparently, yeah. there's enough to make a series out of it, so maybe not. So the first episode, there's a guy who's been harpooned in the face, and Yikes. it's kind of like it should be really grim. It is a bit grim, but it kind of also looks a bit like comedic so i was able to tolerate it anyway it's got other people in it it's got someone called katie lung who is most famous for being in lots of harry potter films jamie sives who i know you're a fan of hannah i like he's in yeah. Chernobyl, isn't he and he plays and he's in that great thing which they're making another one of deceit 
Oh, right, yeah, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and he plays DS Michael McAndrews, who, if like if they don't bang, I'll eat my hat. It's got him and Nicola Walker have got bang fest written all over them. There's some sort of tension there, like, immediately as soon as they meet. Mm. Uh, and a McGann, Paul, who's playing some sort of counsellor. Um, so it's, like, a decent cast, right? I actually stopped watching it about halfway through the first episode yeah because i'll tell you for why i couldn't tell if it was supposed to be funny or not which i think is never a good vibe right yeah i I wasn't sure and and either way i i didn't find it particularly funny but i felt like it was trying to be funny and i just was like it's a big no for me i'm afraid i love nicola walker um, I think she's great in other things and genuinely funny in other things as well. And I really like The Split, which is sort of a comedy that she's in. And I think mm. she's excellent in it. But this one was not for me. Fair dues. That's it. I'm glad I cancelled my Sky. I wouldn't resubscribe on the strength of this, basically. OK, I feel mm. validated. Which leaves us, I think, just with Lorena, mm. which is something that, like I say, I discovered on Amazon, four-part documentary. When it first popped up, I thought, oh, fucking hell, that looks like something from Channel 5. I mean, just to clarify, it's about Loretta Bobbitt, who famously in the 1990s cut her husband's penis off with a knife. And it became, you know, a story that was treated, you know, as kind of really salacious and... Comedic, almost. Uh, yeah, and I thought, why would I watch that? And then I saw it was by Monkey Paw Productions, which is Jordan Peele's outfit. And I thought, maybe there's more to this than that. And I watched it, and I was really glad that I watched it, because it's actually a really fascinating look at the case and how, in fact, the idea that most men's greatest fear is someone cutting their dick off became the centre of the case as opposed to the fact that the reason Lorena Bobbitt did this was because she had been subject to a sustained physical and sexual assaults by her husband over a long period. And so it follows the incident, which I suppose the first episode is the most sort of, oh my God, someone's had their dick Mm. cut off, let's put it in a bag of Soleros (laughs) and and take it to the uh, ER. But it increasingly then becomes about what happens to the pair of them afterwards. And what happens to her is very much an examination of how domestic violence was, and to a certain extent is, treated by the police, by the courts, and how women who are subject to it are treated. And then, secondly, an examination of celebrity. I'm not going to call it fame because I think it's a different Mm. thing. And how John Wayne Bobbitt went down a pretty horribly, like, just sort of dark path of porn and and basically got fucked over by everybody. And it's really good to watch because he's such a fucking prick. He's such a fucking wife-beating prick that at the same time that you're watching her go through this ordeal, it's really nice to see that while it looks on the surface like he's having the better time of it. In fact, afterwards down the track, she is now a happily sorted person and he is not. And I find that quite satisfying. 
you've only watched one episode, Jen, so I, I can't, now in my mind, I'm a bit mished up about what happens where and when. So you might, you've yet to see some yeah. of that. But in a lot of ways, it reminded me a little bit of the OJ documentary in as much as it's not so much about the case, mm. it's about what the case tells you about America. And what's fascinating about it is this and the OJ thing and the murder of the Menenses, really really rich kids killed their parents, were basically all happening simultaneously in America. Yeah. They happen over a really, really yeah, tight time frame. That. Yeah. Um, also good to see in both of them, I guess, um, horrible wife beaters uh, get their comeuppance. Yeah. And also in sort yeah. of like slightly seedy and almost comedic ways. Yeah, I've only watched one episode of it. The thing that struck me the most is how, like, they go back and they talk to all the people that were involved. The, the level mm. of access they have is incredible. They've got, like, Lorena Bobbitt mm. and John Wayne Bobbitt. Um, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest. Well, he wants the world to think he's a nice person and he seems to think he's charming enough that he can pull that off and he's not. He looks like such a sad old man now and I guess I'm going to get to why that is the case, although I do remember from I do remember at the time there's a big um, thing about him making um, porn with his reattached penis. But yeah, I the thing that I found most striking about that first episode, and I'm really interested to see where it goes, even though obviously you've told me quite a lot about it. Sorry. Um, because they... No, 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 not at all. Um, because they cover, like, quite a lot of ground in the first episode. Mm. Like, they cover the first, you know, the incident itself, the first trial, the fact that she's made allegations of him, uh, you know, made allegations of rape and abuse against him. The fact that, like, there's no recognition of i think they say something incredible like there's a guy chatting some footage from the time like rights for abused wives came in like after rights for animals or whatever in in this in like u.s law shouldn't be surprising and yet somehow is so they they cover quite a lot of ground sort of setting the scene i guess in in the first episode but yeah they obviously go and talk to people who'd been like on the switchboard that night and the police who are involved the surgeons who are involved the people working at the reception of the hospital etc etc forensics people and they all kind of like laugh about it a bit they're all still like oh he had his dick cut off (laughs) but it is strangely comical when they find it but nobody wants to pick it up yeah but it's I, i found that really like the policemen are still like having a bit of a giggle about it and they're all like really uncomfortable with it and what i didn't know was that another fascinating thing it was illegal to use the word penis in the newspaper at the time and they were like so what do we call it yeah what what do we write instead of penis it has a really good interview in the second episode with whippy goldberg who talks about because she did a lot of material about it and when you look in comparison to the material male comedians were doing about it, it's really telling, you know, because she was basically saying, this woman is man's greatest fear, you know, and how, in many ways, Loretta Bobbitt was seen as as kind of heroic by loads and loads of women. And the point I think that this documentary makes so well is there's so many things that happen in it where they talk to people who came forward as witnesses who were friends of his, but then gave evidence against him. People who had sort of got involved, people who volunteers, people who turned up in court to support her, all of them. And it's horrifying how many of them say, 
it wasn't a hard decision to do this because my dad beat my mum or mm. my first husband beat me. Over and over again, you hear that. Yeah. And it's really well done how absolutely mm. shocking and not shocking it is that... It's endemic. How, how endemic, yeah, violence yeah. against women in their own fucking homes by the people that are supposed to love them is... It's, it's, it's horrifying. Genuinely yeah. horrifying. There's a thing that... Just that thing you said about Whoopi Goldberg, just wanted to say there's there's a woman in it. And I think this is really interesting because this is something on the kind of, like, internet dating sort of side of things. Like, if you... If I'm... This wouldn't have occurred to me when I was younger, but nowadays, not that I do a lot of dating these days, but if I meet someone and they tell me how crazy all of their exes were mm. or something like that, I'm instantly like, you're a prick, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> there's, you there, there's, a, there's a commonality here and it's you. If you wake up in the morning and the first person you meet is an arsehole, then you've met an arsehole. If all you meet are arseholes all day, then you are an arsehole. I mean, that's worrying for me, Hannah, but anyway... <laughs> uh, so there's a woman that they speak to on camera and um, and she says, like, I think it's from the news or something at the time, and she says, the thing we th- thought was, like, what did he do? What did he... What must he have done mm. to deserve that? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because as a woman, you're like, now come on. Like, people don't usually cut off Yeah, what would drive picks, someone to that? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. It's not like so. It's really interesting the way that different. And then on the other hand, you've got like her, his brother on a chat show being like, she did the worst thing anyone could do to a man. Like she took away his manhood, his like you know dignity, blah blah blah. And it's it's really interesting to look at it from those two different yeah. perspectives. And that person just doesn't look and say that being repeatedly raped by your husband takes away your dignity. Because yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, I was too young really to think about Mm. it when it happened in any great depth to look at the question of what will have caused her to do that i think yeah but yeah that if i read it tomorrow my first thought would be i mean i don't mean to blame the victim in any sense but to say what series of events has led to this because what would cause me to cut someone's dick off yeah Do, do you know what i mean yeah, in a woman with no kind of like history of violence, with no history of whatever, who's young, blah, 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 blah. Who's vulnerable, whose English yeah. isn't great, who hasn't got like, who's worried she's going to get kicked out of the country, all of that stuff going against her. And yet, I suppose there's an argument to say that she disarmed him. Is that the word? Yeah. She literally yeah, why not? removed a weapon yeah. from him that he had been using against her. We're not advocating penis removal, by the way. Oh, no, I mean, uh... absolutely. This is no incitement to cut your husband's dick off. I mean, (laughs) categorically don't do it. From what I was saying earlier about Stephen Lawrence, you know, there is a feeling of how much has it changed? But at the same point, I think it has changed in as much as the voices who would have been defending her would have been way louder. I mean, from what you see in this, a lot of the support she gets comes from her own... Oh, no, actually, not her own community, because they're not people who know her, but from other mm. Latino women who turned up in court to support her. That's where a lot of her support came from. I think now there will be a lot of other women, too. So, on a more positive note, I have one more thing to say, which is that my friend Paul Kirkley and I have started a new podcast, Jen. We have Yay! a television podcast, which is why I'm plugging it here. Because he reviews, it's called What Are You Making Me Watch? 
What are you making him watch? I'm making him watch Band of Brothers because we don't really like the same stuff and therefore there are loads of things that I keep telling him he should watch and he never bothers and the other way around. So every series, one of us is going to pick something we love that the other one's never watched before and make them watch it. And yes, so I am making him watch Band of Brothers because I love it and also because it's 20. Today, in fact. I've never seen it. Oh, well, there you go, Jen. Perfect opportunity. Watch an episode, listen to us talking about it. Watch an episode, listen to us talking about it. Where's it available so that people can watch it and then listen to you talk about it? Currently, it's on Acast because it always takes a while for iTunes to catch up a little bit with new podcasts. It's currently on Acast, but if you follow us on Twitter, we are at MakeMeWatchPod. You will find a link to it there or at my account, which is at ThatDunleavy. Um, but also, sorry, um, where can we watch Band of Brothers so we can watch it and then listen to now your TV. podcast? Now TV. Now TV. Or, thank you. if you've still got access to it, get yourself a box set. You will always find a Band of Brothers box set on probably, you know, Amazon for not very much money. Um, and I would say it would be worth the investment personally. But yeah, we talked to some historians. We talked to some actors that were in it. We've been having a lot of fun. Anyway. Okay. Listen. Um, Not you yeah, necessarily, you Jen, but you will have. Well, to I listen. mean, I will. But, uh, that's... Yeah, people listening, if they want to listen, uh, that that hopefully will be a lot of fun. We do a lot of laughing. And you are on Twitter. I think you already said this, but in case you didn't, at Make Me Watch. At Make Me Watch Pod. Until next time. Outside the box.